0: you don't know me, my name is Christian. I get the pleasure of leading Frontier with my wife, Sue. And uh, uh, if, uh, if we haven't met, please come say hi after church, wherever I'm at. We'd love to, to meet you. And, um, you know, Ryan said something so true about, it's, it's true, I think, for, for men, it's true for a human being that breathes air in 2021. The pressures of life are unbelievable. And uh, this week, I just want to start with a word of, of prayer. We had um, more shootings. More mass shootings and more police shootings. And uh, um, I don't know if you were like me, but it was like a battle this week just to try to stay present with it while, and then not trying to numb and forget about it and pretend like it doesn't exist. And we just keep having these cycles. And I just want to be the first to say, I don't know how to continually be present with these things as, as a person, as a church leader. And, uh, but what I, I do covenant to do and, and to make um, us not forget... Is that as the church, when we don't have the answers, when we don't know how to just show up again, just show up. And and don't numb it. And and find your friends that are hurting and just tell them you love them and you're there for them. So with that, Father, we just acknowledge we don't know all the modes and the ways to be present with a world that is continually in cycles that are broken. But, Jesus, form us again into you. Everything of our mindsets, our ways of life, when we come to you, this is the most powerful aspect of formation. That pulls us into a place, away from the way of the world, into the way of the kingdom, into your ways. We ask something would happen in our spirits this morning on multiple areas, wherever we're at and however we come. Thank you that you receive us, that you form us, and you change us, because you love us and you've got plans to transform this place through the people that have surrendered and trusted you with everything that they have. So we lay everything down again and we say yes to you again, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Um, Luke 15, we're going to be in this morning. I have uh, mentioned with my, my son Judah of, of late, I've just been kind of revisiting scriptures that, that are so familiar. I get scared when, when a scripture is so familiar to me that it doesn't mean anything to me. Do you ever have that experience? Like you, you start reading something and so, or someone starts quoting a scripture that's so familiar and you almost turn off a little bit. And, and that scares me when that happens. Does that ever scare you? I'm like, someone's reading a scripture or quoting something and the familiarity uh, almost makes me not engage. A mix of faces. It's okay. Yeah, that, but I'm just. That's what happens to me. And and one of the things that that is so refreshing is when someone shares something that they've seen that maybe I've seen a million times, but they've seen it for the first time. Or then they start talking, and then they see something that I've never seen, and then I get humbled really quickly. And it happens through my kids a lot, but it, you know it happens through my wife. I I, I she didn't become a Of a follower of Jesus until later in life. So all kinds of of things that I would, I mean, Christian culture, but just songs and things of that nature. I mean, she was rocking out jars of clay 15 years after their album came out, and she ran up to me to excitedly tell me about this amazing worship band that is changing her life. And I'm like, that is so cool, babe. Like, I'm and I didn't want to tell her, I'm like, I had an encounter with the Lord with that too when I was eight. And, uh, <laughs> and it, was really, it was a really good mo- moment. But, but the, the point is, is then, then I, I was processing, Just we were just kind of laughing at that. And the Lord reminded me of just like, if it was good, and it was good to you at eight, and it's good to her at 20 or whenever it was. Who are you to laugh or have that little snobbery over it? If there's something in the kingdom on it, it's eternal. And there's, there's these foundational elements of the life of Jesus where, he's, where he shares these things that are absolutely eternal. And so I, I want to invite us this morning to step into the eternal in our Sabbath. And the Sabbath is meant to be a time where we come together away from the rhythms of life and we set ourselves on this mode where we're entering into a place of eternity and we're, and we're re-anchoring ourselves on His ways against the way of the world. And with this, we're going to open up Scripture. And I want to go to a familiar story. And I want, us to, I want it to hit us again. I want something. I want you to be leaning in to something of how the Father is going to invite you in to experience Him, know Him, and touch Him, and exchange and invite you to take something, a hold that you haven't taken before and step into it and lean into it in a way that you haven't before. Oh Father, do that in us this morning. We receive like children again. We receive humbly again, needing you again, recognizing our absolute constant need for being filled up, but with expectation that you're the kind of Father that always fills us up when we come to you. In Jesus' name. Okay. So Luke 15. Um, I I, I actually got into this scripture this week, and I hope this isn't distracting. I just want to give you a little bit of context. Is that all right? and this is going to be a pretty to the point message hopefully um as you as we all know we said goodbye to James um last week and I had a special kind of pastoral heart message that I was kind of playing back and forth with Paul and Timothy and with my my relationship with James that was was kind of fun and pretty emotional and uh uh, he just left me a, a tear-filled message. Um, I guess he left it yesterday as he was driving um, uh, back home. And I didn't get it this morning on the way to church, and he's, like, struggling to get through it. And then I'm struggling to, like, get to church and just, like, it got, got humid in my eyeballs real fast and stuff. And, and uh, the point is is that I've been, I've been just processing some things of life. And And, and James and I had the last few weeks have been going through, just processing some of the stuff that he's gone through, but that we've noticed in the culture of doubt, of deconstruction, of all these things happening in the church, outside the church, and everywhere in between, how it's affecting so many people, how people are questioning their faith, how people are questioning uh, deep th- things of, the, of their past, of their families, of the Holy Spirit, of the Christian community, of politics, of, of every last thing that they've been known or what the norm has been, we're, we're, we're questioning, and, and the church has been afraid of those things. And I, I was going back over some things in my my own, um, just my own notes, and uh, I, as some of you know, I used to teach classes at Moody Bible Institute, and um, I had this class. Most is Rob Bell like a common household name still? I don't know. He Rob Bell, yes, people know who he is, sort of. Um, so he he was a very well known um, evangelical pastor, and then um, he. To, to my knowledge, claims to still follow and love Jesus, um, but he's, he's come under fire for some very uh, questionable uh, conclusions that he's made uh, about the Christian faith. And so most people would not consider him um, what we would call like uh, uh, an orthodox follower of the way of Jesus anymore. One of those issues, he wrote a book, um, and here's the problem, is he wrote a book with unbelievable points, questions, and insights to the Scripture, but he made some conclusions, particularly about like heaven and hell. And he makes them into this, and he puts them into even this scripture of the prodigal son. Uh, and, and, and he repaints what heaven and hell is in a way that doesn't have uh, any of the, of the weight that Christ presents these things in. However, he makes some really good points about how Christians have abused concepts of things like heaven and hell. And, and we've given a gospel, uh, some people... I don't know any of you in the room that have given a gospel that starts with this horrible uh, dynamic that, that the Father is so angry you know, at your sin that if you don't repent, he's going to sentence you to an eternal destination of damnation and hellfire. And so the reality is, is that Christ never presents heaven and hell in those terms. And yet he does present them as, as real eternal dynamics. But the invitation is, come and feast with me in an eternal place of holiness of the Father. He's inviting you home, inviting you in. And any reality that, that, that meets eternity without the perfect loving Father that Jesus represents is not an eternity that we want. But we aren't the ones to go tell people that they're damned because of their life or their sin or their junk. We go and tell them that we're all in this broken world, desperately trying to figure out who we are and whose we are. And we serve this loving, perfect Father that is inviting you into this. Forever, taste and see that he's good. And so I was, I was going back into that, and I was realizing, uh, um, over the course of about seven, eight, nine years with students, we had this chapter in this book, that that uh, of Rob Bell's book that they would read. And in the in the the first few years, it was an interpretation class, and the whole idea was to interpret this thing. And some of them would would um, right away go, Oh, okay, really good points, but he's completely bashing good sound just interpretation principles of how you look at a historical document and say is this what the author was talking about and this is what it means and 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 then after a few years I got to this one point and every single student just wrote their their little weekly journal of it's just like I thought it was awesome a plus five stars for Rob Bell's thing and I went did you guys read the assignment The, the assignment is is uh how to use interpretive principles, apply it to this passage and tell me what's wrong with it. <laughs> so I made a little video, this was an online class, and they got back and no one did anything differently. And, and I realized, um, on the positive end, there were some things that they were resonating with because we had represented the gospel well on certain, in certain regards. Meaning, we've started to share that the, the Father is good, and he loves you, and he's after you. And that was where Rob Bell started. The, the problem is, is that the, the kids weren't able to discern then when they went from something that was absolutely biblical, scriptural, from the Father, who he's, what he's like. And then he started going into redefining eternity. They couldn't quite pick it up. I, and I want to say this, and I just want to jump right into the passage. It's that we're living in a most incredible, beautiful moment in history. I do not like all the doom and gloom stuff people are saying. We're not living in any more doom and gloom than anyone's ever lived in I, I, I feel so strongly about that when the church feels doom and gloom, what the flip is our message? I'm just it's just really it really hurts and so like when, when we're sitting here just completely and at the same time, when the church rejects the place of the, of the heaviness, of the hurting, of, of the stuff happening in the world, again, we're supposed to be the people in the tension. We have to be the people in the tension. Being able to say we're not in doom and gloom and that we have a hope-filled message in gospel and being able to say, I'm able to enter in fully with the people that are hurting because of the people that are dead, or the people that are sick, or the people that don't have the same as my neighbors, or that are that are just under systems that are just completely breaking them. And, and when we see the noise, and we are we are we looking to then pinpoint everybody's right and wrong? Are we looking to actually enter in to humanity and be present with the people that need us to be the church? This is how. This is how. We see the person of Jesus. Uh, Jesus never answers the questions he brings up in most of his messages, especially this one. I want us to sit in the discomfort of the unanswered questions of this passage. Luke 15. As it starts, uh, you start with three characters. You've got a father, and you've got two sons. The first son... The younger son. This is starting in verse 11 of, of Luke chapter 15. It says, There's a man with two sons, and the younger of them said to this father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. In other words, he realizes that he's a son, and that because he's a son of this man, he's getting inheritance, he's getting money. So he realizes his father has some kind of stature and he wants it, but he's thinking all about himself. And his father listens. This is the first disruption. Huh, why is the father doing that? What are we supposed to learn about the character of this father? What are we learning about the character of God because of the characters in this story? And this is a story because this is a parable that Jesus is giving to his followers to illustrate something about his, the heavenly father. And the father gives it to him. He divided the property between them. Meaning what? There's two sons. He's, he's, got, he's gone ahead and given everything to both of them but we haven't met the, the, the older brother yet. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he went on a journey, and he spent everything. And if you, if you know the story, here's the part that you know. You, you know that he went out, he spent everything, he had a party, had a great time, and he burnt everything. And then a famine came on the land, wiped everything out, and then we see him what? He's, he's begging to just eat the slop of the pigs, which in Jewish culture is pretty offensive because that means you're not even with the Jewish people anymore. You're with the Gentiles that think pigs are cool. Like I do. no, Stupid joke. Okay. So, so he's with the point is, is that he's not, even with the, he's not even with the people anymore. He's gone to another land, and the only people that will let him hang out are the people that slop with pigs in the middle of a famine. And then he realizes, well, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him. So he's literally rehearsing a speech in his head. I'm going to say, Father, Father, I've I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me just as one of your hired servants. This is the rehearsed speech that he has. He's petrified. He's humbled. He's the lowest he could possibly be. He's selfishly taken everything and he's broken. And I want you to see something. This is not repentance. This is maybe the first step of a repentant heart. But this is not repentance. Jesus is not describing for us. This is what repentance looks like. Get so humbled and broken that you're just with the dirt and the slums of life and then go beg somebody that's got something that's still walking with me. That's not repentance. I've seen a lot of of, of reconciliation in the church at large look a little bit like this where they want the people that are broken that are willing to come back to, to be like, okay, now, now kind of Give this kind of apology to everybody. Acknowledge what you did was horrible. And I don't think everyone that does that in the the church leadership and so forth is necessarily evil and trying to trip them up. But ultimately, like, we stop there as if that's repentance. Repentance includes a process of restoring someone and turning into a new direction, taking hold of the way that you were meant to live. He has not done that. In fact, he doesn't do that in the entire story. That's where Jesus leaves it hanging. He leaves it. He does return home. So he arose, he goes to his father, and we know what happens is the father's already looking for him. So a a ways off, which means we don't know how long this was happening, but the point is, is the father is aching for this son that's been lost. This is coming in a section of scripture where Jesus has talked about the lost sheep, and he's building on these things, and he continually builds. We often just take a piece of scripture instead of looking at it in context. And in the context of what's happening in these 14 through 17 chapters of Luke is that Jesus is showing you what the father is like, how he views sheep how he pastorally sees his people, and he's repainting a view of God against the ways of the religious system of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And if we could take hold of the tension of being the type of people that are trying to repaint the view of God for the entire country or the city that sees God in the church this way, and we're saying we've got fresh news for you, the way that you've seen things that are so hurtful, so disgusting, so twisted, so lying, Let's give a fresh picture. Let me show you the true Jesus, the true Father, the true way of doing life. This is what it looks like. And Jesus is desperately trying to show you again and again and again, parable after parable after parable. He's showing them this is what the Father's like. You don't get it. You don't get it. He comes after you. And no, this is the kind of Father. There's two sons. And I think there's two main spirits in each of us. There's the younger son. He's just not all with it and just wants to live and wants to pursue dreams and then realizes after trying, it's broken. And then he struggles the rest of his life with feeling worthy. I'm not worthy. Shame. That goes all the way back to the garden. And then we have this, this, this father then that's looking and we're supposed to see The kind of God that the religious system is telling us isn't true. What is the kind of God that the culture at large is saying is true about God that's not true about God? And how do we have to reintroduce them? This kind of God is looking. And when he sees, he runs He's not willing to look stupid. He's not willing to look foolish. I mean, the whole concept there is he's picking up his, 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 his long gowns and pieces, and he's running, which is completely inappropriate in their context and their culture. He's willing to be completely undignified because he's so in love with his son that's coming home. That's the kind of father we have. He wants you. He wants you in your brokenness. Some of us have been so discouraged and so full of shame and so feeling of unworthiness of what we've been up to this point, what COVID looked like, what we've done with our last year, how we're doing with our job, how we're doing with our career, how we're doing with all the things that have been given to us, how we're doing with our parenting, how we're doing with our education, how we're doing with our acting, how we're doing with whatever. And we, and we are aware more than any other people probably in our context culturally here. We all are aware that we've been given gifts. We don't commonly, us in the room, most of us are aware that we started with a few things in our hands. And so then we, when we don't produce, when we don't achieve, we feel worthless. And we look over our shoulder at somebody else, in the room or elsewhere, and we feel miserable. We feel miserable, we've like blown it. I, I, I should be this far by now. I should have this fruit by now. And we're crippled with shame. We're crippled with worthiness. And yet we have them the verses, well, I'm, we're not. And we, we say nice things and we with gritted teeth. We, we try to receive it. And yet there's this underlying things that are still weighing on us. I'm not worthy. And, and you know, that's the, that is what weighs on all of humanity. No one feels worthy. If we would start with the conviction that everyone out there We know that they don't feel worthy, and it comes out in all different ways, shapes, and sizes, contexts, functions, personalities. And the people that are carrying the most shame, those that feel the most worthless, are usually the ugliest in the way it comes out. We need to look for those people. It starts with knowing how he is touching you in that area. And this father... He brings him everything to remind him who he is. He brings him everything back to remind him of his identity. You will never be my slave. That, that, that context of servant has the same, con- it's meant to hit the people of Israel. In the trigger, remember when you were slaves, when you had no dignity. when Everything was stripped of you. That's the language that Jesus is using. And that father is like, don't you ever dare. Dare come into my house and forget who you are. Give him his shoes. Give him his robe. Give him his ring. Now. Now. That's how we look at people. When people are walking around and you can see that they don't know who they are, you look for the ways to give them robes, shoes, and rings. That's who we are. And this is what the Father's like. And this is what he does. And this will be offensive. So enter the, young, the older brother. Someone will always be offended at someone receiving their identity while they struggle with their worthlessness. We have to be okay in that tension. We have to be sensitive to the tension, but to be okay with the tension. And you might even find yourself going back and forth. One moment you're feeling like a worthless son. The next moment you're saying, well, I'm worthless, but I'm not as bad as him or her. And I've at least been faithful here. I've at least showed up here. And they haven't done anything. And now look what's happened to them. And when we take on that posture, Jesus is just giving us a little bit of a story to paint a picture of what the human spirit does. We feel too worthless to receive the place that the father wants to put us, or we feel too much pride because we've tried too hard to try to achieve something that he's saying continually, you could never achieve it. And so this older brother finally has something to say. He didn't say anything when the younger brother left. He never went after him. He never told him to not go, and he wasn't looking for him. That's the older brother. I know that I've got an older brother's spirit in me when I've given up. I've given up on myself, and I'm just trying to just make it with what I've tried to do in my own strength. I've given up, but I'm not looking for the people that I've been praying for in the past. I've given up because I have no hope, and I'm wrestling with jealousy. I'm wrestling with comparison. I'm wrestling with achievement. I'm wrestling with that kind of pride, and it's subtle. That's the older brother. And the older brother says, look, these many years, there's two speeches. There's the speech that the younger brother prepares, and when he tries to give the speech, the father cuts him off because he says, the speech doesn't matter. I am going to give you what you already are. I don't need a speech. The older brother comes with a speech, and he says this. Look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he can't even say his brother's name. When this son of yours came, he has devoured your property with prostitutes and you killed the fattened calf for him. And that's all he has to say. He's offended. He hears the celebration, he hears the party happening. He goes and sees what's the commotion. Offense wells up within him. Comparison wells up within him. And he's right. He was the one that did all the right things, he was the one that didn't blow the inheritance. I think some of us are wrestling with the fact that we've done the right things, or a lot of the right things, and things aren't panning out the way we thought. And maybe you're in comparison or maybe you're just wondering, what the heck is going on with me? And I think some of us in the body, we wrestle with even being real with the father. Because at least he was finally able to say something to the father that he had probably never said. He used the younger brother as an excuse to say what was already in his heart. If that younger brother never came back, this older brother had the same issue with his heart. And that issue was... I've earned my place in this family. When Christians start to believe, even on the smallest minutia, that anything worthwhile in this life has come because we have earned something, we have lost our salt. We've lost our flavor. We've lost our voice. We've lost our place. And that would be why Wedged in between Luke 14 and 15 is Luke fourteen thirty four. Salt is good. But if salt lost its taste, it's not coming back. Don't lose your flavor. Don't lose your voice. Don't lose what makes the body the body. And what makes the body the body? What makes the follower of Jesus? That demonstration of heaven on earth. Is that when we come in to humanity, we're not ultimately the older brother or the younger brother. We start there. The question Jesus leaves is the questions that really the father leaves. He responds, son, you're always with me. All that's mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. If you can't celebrate death to life, lost, found, you've missed everything. Everything I had was already yours. He already split the inheritance. He already had his father. And yet he was living in torment the entire time, feeling that what he had, he earned he achieved it. I just feel us today is to examine your heart with the presence of God, with the Holy Spirit, and say, is there anything in me that still feels like I have earned something in this life because of my effort? Everything in the world will reward you for the effort, and we want to be a people that work hard, that are present, that do put in the effort, and yet We don't ever have to expect anything in return because we give freely. We're dangerous because we're not afraid to die. We're not afraid that any of our efforts don't have any fruit because we realize that the moment we said yes to this way, there was going to be fruit already there. Because I'm only here because there was some kind of seed planted that I didn't plant that I got to reap the harvest of. I got to be the fruit. I, was, I am the culprit. I am the result of God pursuing me. Not the other way around. I didn't achieve a thing. I didn't earn anything. That is the greatest relief in a culture that tells us everything comes for those who work hard, earn it, achieve it, and have a dream. Our dreams are a different kind of dreams. and I, I just feel that there's two sides of every single one of us that Jesus is saying. So how will you receive this word? We don't know how the older brother responded to the father. And we don't know if the younger brother ever received his identity afresh. Or if he walked in shame and worthlessness the rest of his life if he walked around guilty and the older brother walked around bitter? That was the question. Will you walk around guilty, will you walk around bitter, or will you walk around free because you didn't earn a thing, and you got everything? And the ultimate irony is that the older brother had at the beginning of the story everything he thought he was trying to earn. It had already been written out. The father had said, here's the inheritance that you think you just earned. To the younger brother, the idiot in him was like, sweet. The older brother's like, no, I'm going to continue to earn it. Both of them are completely deluded. Which Which one are you today? I literally feel I go back and forth. I go back and forth constantly. Deep insecurity, bitterness and resentment. It's creeping in. Let's kill that today. Let's kill it today. That's the invitation. If worship people want to come up and help us close, um, I I want to end with just a couple thoughts and then pray. What's your response going to be today? What are you saying to the Father when he responds to you? One of two ways to your spirit. He's either trying to take your soul of shame and worthlessness and put on you a ring, a shoe, and a robe to remind you of who you already are. And that nothing of you burning bridges, screwing things up, and wasting away what he's given you will ever compromise who you are as a son or as a daughter. This is the kind of God that calls us his father. And this is the Christian faith. Or are you wrestling with still feeling like there's something that you can offer him that will qualify you for what he has already given you? Are you making demands? Or are you completely more than humbled? Humbleness is not worthlessness. Humility is knowing who you are and realizing why. Why? you have worth Or are you comparing or are you offended Are you offended that the God that showed up for so many years all of a sudden it feels like where did you go Or has he gone silent The God that was so close It's like I don't even know you That older brother didn't know the father They had no relationship They had no connection They had no closeness And yet nothing had really gone wrong. I feel like it's another invitation to you. It's like, have you lost the sense of feeling connected, close with the Father? Or does he feel distant, and maybe you even have some resentment that you didn't know you had? My biggest revelation over COVID was that I was offended at God. I was offended at him because I felt like I was desperately trying to ask him for the way forward, for how to have vision, for how to lead, for how to navigate crisis, for how to navigate family, for how to navigate everything that was the weight of the world I thought was on my shoulders. And I realized if I would just meet with him and he'd speak over me, son, you thought I was keeping something from you. And I've already put it deep within you. This is the story. He's already cut the check. He's already divided the land. Everything he has is already ours. Will you actually believe him? He's not holding things from you. The key is will you step into the character to trust him and receive it fresh and actually believe that it's yours apart from anything you did? Let's stand and let's pray. Father, we pray for a heart for the lost afresh today. We pray for the ability to think of those around us and realize we've got something to give. We've got a message of a father that's beyond me, as a, whether I am entering in identifying with an older or a younger sibling today. I'm saying that I, my standard is a father whose invitation is consistent. We have a kind of father that's, that's meeting you where you're at, If you're the older or you're the younger, if you're the bitter or the broken, he's meeting you. He's inviting you. Help us step into the tension, Father. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you, Jesus, for another layer breaking us free afresh that we didn't earn anything. You gave us everything. True freedom true life true victory this <laughs> feels such a such a sensitivity of hearts some of you feel like your, your heart is so like raw or vulnerable or it's like it could burst or break it just doesn't feel it feels like exposed it's the picture I'm getting and I just feel like well you trust him to cover your heart again trust him to cover the wounds that life has brought you. Trust him to touch you, to heal you, to restore you. Trust him to give you the robes, to actually say the things that he's been trying to tell you about you, that you just don't believe or can fully be true, or that you don't trust him as the safe place to do it. It's unbelievable when we gather that sometimes the things that we couldn't do alone, just stepping into an environment of expectation, of safety, of trust, will allow us to start the process Allow them to start the process afresh. To so invite them to just close us in some kind of, of response of worship, and each of you, just where you're at, whether you need to come forward, whether you need to just have someone pray for you, where you're at. I just invite you just to, just to do the work and to worship accordingly. In Jesus. Name.